What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the 168th episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. I am your host, Armand Lee. And if you're anything like me, if you're listening to this podcast specifically on Tuesday, you need an escape. You need to get away. So if you have come to my podcast, I greatly appreciate that. And trust, I'm in the same boat with you. I need to get away. Can't watch TV, can't listen to the radio, can't even really be around a bunch of people. So I really, really appreciate the fact that you guys are all here checking with me throughout this uh, potentially historic uh, day in the country. But you know what? There's plenty of other avenues you can go to to hear about that. So we're going to try to do something different this week, specifically talking about Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards. It seems as if I don't necessarily think that the former all-star player is being heavy-handed, but it's getting heavier, right? The subtleness of Bradley Beal's position, not so much subtle anymore. So where does that leave Tommy Shepard in the Wizards organization? We're going to break that down. Plus, my take on the entire mess that is our current political system. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. It's always funny for me, at least, when I do a show and then a few days later, maybe a few weeks later, uh, a current event will happen on a topic that I was just kind of thinking about. Maybe something happened and then something new happens to kind of further the story. It happened last week, specifically, like I think the same day, later in the day, like I'll record this show days in advance, like each, each, sometimes I'll record it all in the same day, but most times I do maybe one quarter this day or I write down a quarter and I kind of think of like how I want to express myself, right? So it takes a few days to put this show, at least for me, it takes a few days for me to put the show in. So when I publish it on Monday nights or maybe Tuesday mornings, it's oftentimes most of the quarters have already been done. So like last week, we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys and it's like keeping up with the Kaldashians. And I was like, yo, I'm not trying to take a shot at that family. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, no, I I really don't care about them too much. You know what I'm saying? Not too much. I don't care about that family at all. But I released the podcast with that title. And then later on that day, uh, Kim Kardashian releases her little picture saying, you know, I'm on a, a different island. We had a coin, whatever, whatever. So then that becomes mean. So the Alabama's here. They're like, yo, why are you going so easy on the Kardashians? You ain't just see what they said. And I'm like, bro, like that happened. A few people hit me up. It's like, yo, why are you take, taking it easy on the Kardashians? You just see that crazy little picture they sent? That's nuts. And I was like, Slim, I recorded that. All that was done before that was released to the public. You feel me? But that's just one example of sometimes me doing something and then a few days, a few moments, a few hours, whatever, later, something else happens to kind of further that story. And we're going to start the first quarter this week with a absolute perfect example of this. Two weeks ago, we talked about Daryl Moore. And I'm sitting here telling you all, man, Daryl Moore is not as bad as you guys think. People are killing Daryl Moore. He left Houston. Bama's blaming Houston's uh, failures on Maury and saying that Maury, you know, he... He only wants to play this style of basketball. And I'm saying, nah, he just wanted to, he just felt that that style of basketball best fit his current team, his current roster. And I think that's actually a testament 
to Daryl Moy, right? We always hear this. We hear this often more so in football, right? Where a head coach has a specific scheme he wants to to, to utilize. Oftentimes, it's defensively, right? If uh, if a defensive-minded head coach comes in, I'm a three-four guy. I'm a three-four guy, but you don't have three-four talent, you know, or you know, it, it happens oftentimes, or sometimes I can say as often, but it does happen on offensive minds. But you you get the point, right? Uh, a coach in the NFL will come and. He has a scheme. He's been successful in this scheme, so he only wants to run his scheme, despite the fact that his personnel may not be best suited, right, to be successful in said scheme. I think that's actually a problem when people are so rigid in their beliefs that there is no flexibility. So on, you know, the complete opposite end of the spectrum, when I see Daryl Morey, I love that. I love that he's flexible enough to have a Houston Rockets team that looks completely different when Kyle Lowry and Goran Dragic are playing or when they were about when they did sign Jeremy Lin initially. And it could be completely different when James Harden and Russell Westbrook are, are now on the team and they have no one taller than 6'8 outside of Tyson Chandler. I think that speaks to a certain level of flexibility mentally creativity and the ability to adapt right if you listen to the show at all you know adapting evolving something i'm really really big on so i'm a huge Mori fan and i made that known two weeks ago and then i want to say wednesday thursday the nba world just went nuts right it started with the utah jazz selling the team it then ended up to Bradley Bill. It was a podcast on the JJ Reddick Pass podcast. Uh, forgive me, that's not the t- name of the pod, but uh, and that the name of that podcast escapes me at the moment. But it is JJ Reddick's podcast, and Bradley Bill's on the pod, and he's making some uh, again not so subtle comments to the Wizards, and we're going to discuss that in the third quarter this week. And then after that, we find out that the Philadelphia 76ers hired Daryl Morey to a front office position. Now, we don't get me wrong. We need to get our jokes off. You feel me? Like, the I, the, the, the fact that the Sixers let go of Sam Hankey, when Sam Hankey built the, built the cupboard up. Now, he did not draft Ben Simmons, but it was clear Ben Simmons was the consensus number one overall pick, and by the time they let him go, Philadelphia was well on their way to having the worst record in the league that season for that potential uh, choice to draft Ben Simmons, which obviously they did. But Sam Hankey had Joel Embiid. He drafted him. Sam Hankey had Robert Covington. He re-signed him. Sam Hankey had Dario Sarge. He drafted him. He had boatloads upon picks, picks, and picks, picks. As many picks as you can imagine. He maneuvered to get them. And then Philly was like, nah, okay, we're done with you. Brian Colangelo, come on down. Now, when we talk about the Colangelo tenure in Philadelphia, you know, we we really only focus on the Markel Fultz drafting and trading of a future first-round pick not to draft Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, mind you, who is an all-NBA player, Markel Fultz is a rotational guy at best right now. What we forget is that the 
the amazing way in which Colangelo's tenure in Philly ended. Don't forget, he had a burner. He was exposed. His wife is releasing all types of crazy comments. The burner is talking about personal, confidential, medical issues relating, pertaining to players who were on that Philadelphia 76ers roster at the time Colangelo was the president. Like, that's insane. The 30 for 30 on that alone is going to be nuts. So Colangelo, he's ousted. He can't, he can't survive that. And then they bring in Elton Brand. And Elton Brand's first major move was a success. He traded for Jimmy Butler. Boom. Right? And he didn't really trade that much. I mean, Robert Covington is a really, really good player. But he's not Jimmy Butler. They traded like Jared Bayless, Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, and a second rounder, I want to say, for one of the best players in the league. But then he proceeded to screw everything up, Elton Brand speaking. I bring all of this to, the attention, to your attention just to highlight the absurd route the Philadelphia went to get Daryl Morey. They had his right-hand man, Sam Hankey. Sam Hankey was upfront and honest about his plan, about his vision. In the midst of doing his plan, right, they let him go. And they go all around, take the scenic route just to get back to getting Daryl Moore, who shares basically the same vision as Hanky to some extent. I'm not going to relitigate the process. I'm not going to. But I'm going to sum it up real quick, and then we're going to move on specifically just to my vision on Daryl Morey. The process stems from a really basic fundamental idea that I believe most people, most observers of the NBA share. I still do that the way to win in the NBA is with elite level talent. Elite-level talent wins in the NBA. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So how can you get elite-level talent in the NBA? There's only two ways. They come via free agency, or, or three ways, I should say. They come via free agency. I've talked about this tirelessly on this podcast. Throughout the history of free agency in the NBA, there are only two teams who can consistently say they have succeeded in free agency. Those are the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat. You can add Golden State if you would like because though they only really had one big-time free agent acquisition, he's a pretty damn big one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that set them up to win two championships. Kevin Durant, obviously. So you can add a Golden State to that mix if you'd like, but consistently, I'm talking about when there's a big fish to catch, these teams have Better odds, the odds are in their favor more than anyone else because they're the only ones to say that we've done this over the span of multiple seasons. Decades now, for real. The Lakers and the Heat. Philadelphia is not one of those two teams. So to get a superstar player, it's almost, it's next to, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely to do it in Philadelphia. So Sam Hank is like, all right, well, can't do it that way. We can trade for a free agent. But in order to trade for a free agent, you need what? You need assets. Sam Hank, you all have to remember, he was in 
Houston. Again, Maury's right-hand man when they made the blockbuster trade of James Harden. Now, James Harden was traded for, again, Kevin Martin. Uh, I forget the other role player in two picks. One of them became Steven Adams. But the picks were the key. So Sam Hankey is like, okay, you can either have a, a superstar player signed to you in free agency or you can trade for them. But the way the NBA is moving now, and it's been even accelerated when you look at the number of picks that the Lakers and the Clippers have had to dish up to get their players last year, right? Paul George, Anthony Davis. Sam Hankey was just, he just saw it before everyone else. Okay, picks are going to be more valuable than overpriced players because the salaries have to match. So, and I can have a really, really good value contract, i.e. Robert Covington, someone who whose productivity exceeds his contract value. That's valuable. And then I also need some picks that people could want because we can make numbers work. If, if I'm trading one player who's making $28 million and I want another player who's making $30 million, well, you know, I can do a one for one, but one for ones very rarely work. We should have no, we know that now, right? Because there's always going to be a guy who's better and trading for the guy who's better. And you're just doing one for one swaps. Nah, it just doesn't mesh. It doesn't work out. So again, Hinky was like, all right, three ways to get a superstar player free agency, but you know, free agents really only go to LA in Miami. So, yeah, Philadelphia is not that. We also can trade for one, but at the time Sam Hankey took over, Andre Iguodala and Drew Holiday were both making a lot of money via their contracts. Both are very good players, obviously, but you can't trade Andre Iguodala for one player when he's making that much money at the time and then get more value to help your team back or Drew Holiday. So he had to hit the reverse. I got to trade Iggy, get some picks, get some assets. I got to trade Drew, get some picks, get some assets. Oh, there's a third way to get a superstar player, isn't there? Via the draft. So there is no perfect science in drafting. And just because you have the number one overall pick doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get, right, a great player. Hell, look at Jaleel Okafor. Sam Hankey was not a great drafter by any stretch. Jaleel Okafor, Nerlens Noel, Michael Carter-Williams. Those three names are the first to pop up. It took a long time to get Joel Embiid, but that's the whole point. Give me more chances, right? If you have one chance to shoot a three-pointer to win a million dollars, but I have six or four or five, right? I'm feeling better if I have the more opportunities. The more chances I have to hit the bullseye, the better the odds, Everybody's now into odds. Everybody's into, you know, in the early 2000s, it was World Series of Poker and then Blackjack. It was this huge kind of revelation for many people. It was They were broadcasting poker games on television and they were drawing huge numbers. And now, right, it's just been the evolution. Now, every, like now you can turn on a basic standard over the air television and there are gambling odds right there for the world to see. So we all are, have now been, I guess, condition, not conditioned, but we have all are open to the idea of odds. 
We are. We should be at least, particularly sports fans. Sam Hankey just took that and ran with it. So I've never really quite understood just the natural, just nasty. Like, people are just so against, right, the process. Take a look. Look around. With the exception of the Toronto Raptors, who won the NBA championship two years ago. Look at the team who won the NBA championship this year. They had three number one overall picks on their team. Three Hall of Famers. And obviously that's led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We talked about Golden State, who won two, three championships, right, in four years. When Kevin Durant went to Golden State, Kevin Durant was the number two overall pick. In fact, listen to this. You could make the argument that had Golden State not signed Kevin Durant, they wouldn't have won their two championships because Cleveland beat Golden State with two former number one overall picks. In fact, the one championship that Golden State did win before Kevin Durant, it took them six games to beat that Cleveland Cavaliers team with obviously LeBron James. But I think most people would believe, would tell you, that had Kyrie Irving, another former number one overall pick, not hurt himself in the first game of that six-game series, that Cleveland would have won that too. You can go back as far as you want. If I have players who are drafted at the top of the draft, doesn't necessarily have to be number one, but... It helps if it's number one through number four, number five, six. Yeah, those players help. LeBron's, they help. The Ray Allen's, they help. The Dwayne Wade's, the Kevin Durant's, the Anthony Davis's, the Shaquille O'Neal's, the Paul Pierce's. Just go down the list with the exception of Toronto and the Detroit Pistons. Tim Duncan. Those guys help. That's the fast track in terms of winning and winning big in the NBA. Give me a star. So if I don't live in Los Angeles, if my team is not in L.A. or in Miami, and specifically if my team is in a cold weather northeastern city, which typically is taxed higher than other cities, it's going to be hard for you to sign a free agent. That's just the way it works thus far. Doesn't mean it always has to be that way. But if history is an indicator, that's what it is. So Philadelphia, that's not, that doesn't seem like a viable option. Number two, I can trade for one. But when you have overpriced the, the, the GM before you sign players who are good but not great to great contracts, it's hard to then get equal value if you ruin a move. It's easier to hit the reverse. Okay, I'll trade you this. Give me some guys with reasonable contracts. Give me a few of them, and then give me some picks. And the picks, yeah, that's important. Because that's a way that everybody has an opportunity to get a great player. Whether you think it's fair, whether you think it's right, that's what it is. It's the reality. I say all of that to bring me to Daryl Moore. Again, it's a weird way, it's a weird route the Sixers took to get to this point. But I think, look, man, sometimes you just got to admit a mistake. 
you can keep trying to fight on that mistake. Shout out to Big G, Slim Charles. We got to fight on this lie. No, you don't. You can admit when you made a mistake. If you're driving, going on a road trip, and you're like, man, I missed my exit. Don't keep on driving. <laughs> right? Find the, net, the, the, the first exit closest to once you realize you missed it, get off, and then reroute. Is it going to take you out your way? Yeah. Is it an inconvenience? Yeah. But just keep on driving, trying to power through it. That ain't going to work. You feel me? That's what the Sixers did. They admitted the mistake. Everyone knew they made a mistake. And they're like, all right, not only are we going to admit our mistake, we're going to get the guy who we feel is actually better than Sam Hankey. And there is absolutely a case that Daryl Morey is, maybe better is the wrong term, a more refined version of Hankey, not an extremist version of Hankey. So they get Daryl Morey, and I think this is a brilliant move. In fact, I was so, and I shouldn't have been, right? I've been a fan of the NBA, like an extreme fan of the NBA pretty much my entire life, but definitely more so, you know, these last 20 years of my life. So I, I, I know how, I feel like I have a good idea of how the wind blows in the NBA circles. So when there was some pushback and, oh, this means that Daryl Moore is going to trade Ben Simmons, I saw all of these takes of people like killing Ben Simmons. I was shocked. I was like, hold on. Daryl Morey, I don't know this man. I've never talked to him, never interviewed him. I have no idea how he views. But I would imagine that Daryl Morey is extremely high on Ben Simmons because Daryl Morey is a man who uses advanced statistics. I ask any of you to show me an advanced stat that is not high on Ben Simmons. There isn't one. Real quick, you guys have told on yourselves. I'm not going to spend too much time on analytics here. I've talked about it ad nauseum. But there were so many people who swear. They always talk about analytics and, oh, man, you know, you have to follow the analytics. And they always say that, right? Whether it's on radio or their television uh, pundits or on their podcast. Whatever platform they have. Oh, you got to use the analytics, whatever. So many of them were so quick to be like, hey, Ben Simmons isn't going to work with Daryl Morey because they believe analytics is only shooting more threes. They told on themselves. That's not what analytics is. Analytics is data. Where are you good at? Are you productive? If so, what makes you productive? And does your production help raise us to championship level contention? There's more than one way to skin a cat. I promise you. I promise you Shaquille O'Neal was an advanced stat darling. He ain't shoot threes. I promise you advanced statistics love Bam Adebayo. Guess what? He doesn't shoot threes. And most important, advanced statistics love. They tell you how great a player Ben Simmons is, despite the fact that he doesn't shoot. In fact, you can make the case that he's such a great analytic player because he knows exactly what he is and what he isn't. There's so many players who shoot poorly on step-back contested 19-footers, but who continually do them. You keep taking shots that aren't valuable because you can't produce them. You don't make them. 
you may make them at a higher clip than everyone else. But a lot of that is because everyone else doesn't shoot them unless the shot clock is winding down. There's some players who love the dribble, dribble between the legs, back, around the back, take a step back, uh, 18 footer. Those are tough shots. I'd much rather you take the 20 footer, sidestep, shoot. Like we have this thing where people say the mid range is dead. Analytics is trying to kill the mid range. No. People who don't understand advanced stats and analytics are trying to kill the mid-range. I give I've given this example before. I vividly remember Paul Casal's last years in Los Angeles with the Lakers when Mike D'Antoni was the head coach. And Mike D'Antoni kept on trying to make Paul Casal shoot threes. Paul Gasol did not have three-point range. So Paul Gasol was phenomenal at 18 feet. Phenomenal. Couldn't stretch it out to 23 feet. I don't know why. It just didn't work. So Powell, Mike D'Antoni's telling my, uh, Powell to shoot threes. He's not making them. So it looks like Powell Gasol is washed. The following year, he goes to Chicago. Powell Gasol's all NBA because he stopped shooting. Tom Thibodeau was not an analytic coach. I still don't think he is, but who knows? Tom Thibodeau's like, all right, man, you can't make this shot. Stop shooting threes. I'm not going to have you shoot threes just to shoot threes. In fact, despite the fact that Tom Thibodeau has never been billed as a coach, who subscribes to analytics and Mike D'Antoni is looked upon as this like mad doctor of science, this mad data doctor. What Tom Thibodeau did was the correct utilization of advanced stats and analytics. You look at what a player can do and you look at what a player cannot do. Don't ask a switch hitter who bats 360 as a southpaw Right to bat righty when he's batting 181. No, don't ask the player to do something that they cannot do. That's not analytics. Some guys can't shoot threes. They should not be asked to shoot threes. We got to a point where Batman was trying to get Dwight Howard and Andre Drummond and Rudy Gobert to shoot threes. And I'm just thinking, why on earth would you waste offensive possessions giving guys who can't shoot threes but who are otherworldly effective offensive players, why would you waste possessions like that? There is a difference between asking Pau Gasol or Dwight Howard or Kevin Garnett who are phenomenal. Let's stick with the Gasol analogy, right? There is a difference between asking Pau Gasol, who is a phenomenal offensive player, who is extremely efficient offensively, who can make shots at 16 to 18 feet like regularly, there's a difference between asking him, hey, stop shooting those 16 to 18 foot shots that you can make in your sleep and start shooting these 23 foot shots because they're three pointers. There's a big time difference between doing that or asking a player. I don't want to name anybody. Specific. There's a player in mind that I definitely want to say, but I'm not going to say him. But let's say a guard, right, who keeps on shooting 21 foot shots or 22 foot shots. He makes them at a 40%, 39% clip. If I'm shooting a two-point shot at 40 or 39% clip, that's really, really bad. If you're shooting at 22, 21 and a half feet, and at 20, at 40 to 39%, take the extra step back because that shot is worth an extra point. Again, this is really simple. If you shoot 40% or 39% from two, and shoot 40%, 39%, hell, 38% from three. 
One of those options are phenomenal, phenomenal. The other option is putrid. And the option which is phenomenal, you get an extra point. Asking a player who's really good at 16 feet but who does not have range to 23 feet is not the same as someone who has the exact same range. The percentages are the same from 21 feet to 23, 24. You understand? If you are a 40% shooter at 22 feet, take the extra step back because even if your percentages drop 2%, two percentage points, excuse me, 38% from three is much better, much better than 40% from two. You don't have to be a mathematician to get that. So Daryl Morey, I don't believe that he's going to be in a rush to trade Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is phenomenal. The only thing that Ben Simmons does not do at an exceptional level in the NBA game with the two things, shoot and free throw shooting. Those are the two things he does not do exceptionally well. One of those things is not compounded because he doesn't shoot. He does not shoot, take shots he can't make. He's a phenomenal finisher at the rim. He gets to the rim. He's one of the best passers. He defends every single position at a high level. He rebounds. Dog, he can lead the break better than most players in this league. And people are in a rush to trade him because he don't, he doesn't shoot threes. And the only reason he doesn't shoot threes is because he doesn't make them? Huh? Daryl Morey is a slam dunk hiring for the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't know how he and Doc mesh. A lot of the reports out of L.A. once Doc was done, done was that Steve Ballmer was upset at Rivers because he did not utilize the Los Angeles Clippers advanced scouting department, the analytics staff that the Clippers had, which Steve Ballmer paid top price for. So, yeah, I don't know how that works. Maury didn't hire Doc. You know, we'll see what that ha what happens with that. But the the numbers tell you, the Sixers have two legit star players. The hard part is done. the The part that's less hard is building around your two star players. Now. It's been increased. The difficulty has been increased now because of the blunders of Colangelo and Brand, mainly Al Horford's contract, Tobias Harris's contract, Josh Richardson. You can move that. That's a that's a valuable contract. You know, I remember like, like two years ago, the the moment Elton Brand traded for Tobias Tobias Harris, I was like, why didn't you trade for Gallo? Gallo is a much better fit. He's not going to cost you as much because he still has one year on his contract. So you won't have to give up. As Imagine if they still had Landry Shaman. Imagine if you have a team of Ben, Shaman, or JJ. Let's say JJ. Ben, JJ, Jimmy, Gallinari, and Embiid. That's the team that they could have had still with Landry Shaman coming off the bench. But they went for Tobias Harris. Imagine, um, Tobias Harris doesn't fit. The way the Sixers are constructed currently, nothing fits 
I think Daryl Morey is a talented enough and a creative of, enough of a basketball mind that he may be able to figure some things out because obviously the, the doomsday scenario is moving one of Embiid or Ben Simmons. And if I had, if it was up to me, I know who I would move and it wouldn't be Ben. But I'm sure Daryl Morey and the Sixers brass, they don't want to, they don't want to rush to that decision just yet. And I understand that. I get it. Though I think the longer they wait, the potential of a significant Embiid injury happens. And then that obviously like blows up all of his trade value. I view Joel Embiid, when you look at him, you see how big he is, but then you also see he's not in, it doesn't, I mean, he, I'm not, relatively speaking, he's not in the best shape, right? He's carrying around a lot of extra pounds. And he already has leg and feet issues. Those don't get better over time. So it's almost as if you're you're playing with a ticking time bomb. I would cash out, but I also understand, hey, we have two of the best players in this league, and they're both young, and they've both had success. When they're playing together, they've, they've, they've always advanced. The only time they didn't advance in the postseason is when Ben didn't play, and that was this past season. You know, highlight that if you would like. For all the people who think Ben should be moved, it's funny. And when I say funny, I mean not funny at all, actually. It's interesting how we've seen the Sixers succeed without Joel, with Ben. Whether it was the Bellinelli and the Ilya Solvas, whether it was Jimmy Butler and Mark Hale, or whether it was this year before he was hurt with Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. When Joel misses time, and he misses time every year, the Sixers don't miss a beat when Ben is healthy. But we saw this year what happens when Joel is okay, but Ben is not playing. And it wasn't a pretty sight, was it? I trust Daryl Morey enough to know that whatever decision he makes with that team, he's going to have, whether I agree with it or not, I don't, I'm not saying that he and I share the same uh, numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a whole wide spectrum of advanced stats out there. I don't know where Daryl Morey falls on any of this, but I do know that he will have at least made his mind up looking at and using the data. And if you go by that, man, whether it works or not, you can at least say, hey, man, he made an informed decision. He didn't just go with his gut. He didn't go with what the columnist said or what the blogger said. He made an informed opinion. Sometimes even an informed decision doesn't work. But the most, the best any of us can do is to learn. If you're going to make a decision, man, get as much information as you can. The Sixers have been run like a comedy show the last two and a half years. And I would know that because, again, there is no better lead comic than James Dolan. <laughs> We've been the worst, the Knicks I'm speaking of. So I can spot the train wreck. I can spot the, the disaster. And that's what the Sixers have been. But they finally have a competent adult running the show after getting a competent adult running them out of town. It was an odd route to get here, but they got there. And instead of making jokes, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Get the jokes off. The jokes are funny. This has been a funny situation, which has happened in Philadelphia. But we can all laugh at it now because an adult now is once again behind the wheel.
So shout out to the Sixers, man. If you are a Philadelphia 76er fan, there probably, in my opinion, feels like there's going to be major changes, if not this year, definitely next year. But at least you know whatever decision that is made for your team, it will be because of information, right? Data. And that's all really any of us can make or be happy with or want at the end of the day. All right, guys, that's my first quarter. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about that. We talked about a lot there. Elton Brand, Colangelo's, uh, Burner Accounts, Ben Simmons, number one overpicks, the process, Embiid, a lot, right? A lot. I want to hear what you guys have to say, man. So hit me up. Either email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show, right? And if you guys don't mind, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to pods. Rate and review the show. Leave a little note, man. Let me, let your friends, let the world know why you continue to rock with, in my humble opinion, the best sports podcast in the world, the Quarterly Report. All right, guys. That's basketball for a moment. We're going to head back to the hardwood a little bit later in the show. But I want to talk about something that. A conspiracy, if you will. It's a conspiracy. I don't even like using conspiracy anymore, right? Because we've got some weird, crazy-ass, almost dangerous conspiracy theories that have been floating around these last four years. So I'm not even going to use the word conspiracy theory. But it's an idea that has existed from some time. And, you know, a science fiction child of the 80s like myself, I let my mind wander. And there was an article that was released recently that really really scratched and piqued my interest. All of that in our second topic this week. Second quarter. It's time now for Rise of the Machine. So as I was saying before we started officially in the second quarter, there are often times where, you know, as a child of the 80s, I mean, this entire segment has been built off of growing up you know, in the 80s and 90s, watching the crazy science fiction movies that seemingly happen like every single week. There's like an absurd. I don't know what you guys have done during this quarantine time. Matter of fact, it doesn't even seem like Batman's are even quarantining anymore, which, you know, I don't know if you guys read the newspaper or watch the news. That's a bad decision on your part, but whatever. If you have free time, which we all should have free time. Go back and look at some of them joints, man. Like they, I don't know what Bama's were on. Actually, I do know the 80s were nuts. So everybody was coked out of their mind. But in terms of like science fiction and like this kind of dystopia and like just bending the rules of what is and what isn't happening in the world. Like Bama's was trippy, Joe. You watch any movie and you know, Besides the the awful writing and the bad shooting and the plot holes, the essence of some of the stuff that Batman's will talk about is super dope. But in the 90s, I feel like science fiction pretty much killed the game when it came to the Matrix. And, you know, from that moment, and maybe it started before, it probably did, but like late 90s into the early 2000s, I started meeting people just randomly and they would always be talking to me about like simulation theory for those of you who are unaware it's really silly right but you know play along you feel me basically 
we are living in a simulation that's at, at its core that's what the simulation theory is now there have been all types of variations of the simulation theory bernstein bears you know that's the one the first way i was introduced right when we were little i remember them being called the bernstein bears e-i-n but apparently now they're the bernstein bears which is inconsequential has no real meaning except for the fact that if you are of my age you would have sworn that they were the bernstein but if you try to google go to amazon it's no record no indication of bernstein it's bernstein dead ass <laughs> it's just crazy but slow ride with me there's some other theories again all of them more silly than that but you get my point if you remember the sims game and these like you just build people and they like start their own lives and you make a city you can make a roller coaster amusement park we are living in a simulation it explains a lot of bizarre behavior but that's at its essence again go back to the matrix that's kind of what the matrix was talking about i do all of that to introduce to you this report coming from popular mechanics via scientific american it starts some scientists believe that the odds that life as we know it is a simulation could be as simple as a coin toss. This 50-50 coin toss approximation comes from the Scientific American cited odds of 50.2 to 49.7 when determining whether or not life is a simulation. It goes on to read, Scientific American and subsequently popular mechanics cite philosopher Nick Bostrom's 2003 paper, Are We Living in a Computer Simulation? to explain where odds like the ones above come from. I'm not going to continue, but again, if you are interested, again, this is just food for thought, just interesting talking points. You feel me? Interesting just to think, just to consider. The book are we living in a computer simulation comes from nick bostrom if you want to you know if you have a kindle want to download it maybe if you want to buy it go to the library see if you can uh, order it in maybe your library is not even open yet you know whatever do whatever you want to do you know what i'm saying go ahead and handle the business but for me it's just interesting right and this type of stuff intrigues me i'm weird and i'm getting older so more and more bizarre things and you know you start to think about you feel me but like when you look at life today <laughs> you know if you were trying to explain to another reasonable individual imagine that you had the ability right to speaking of the matrix you download it fighting styles imagine if you can download a different language and you can speak to someone you know in an african continent or or on the african continent or a country and you know Asia or whatever and you can just as another reasonable person not someone of a not a genius and not a buffoon but just a reasonable individual measured and approach similar to yourself and you were to explain to them how in the quote-unquote most powerful sophisticated and wealthiest country in the world a relatively and I say that with all due respect because again over 235,000 Americans have died in eight months. That is a tragic, tragic set of circumstances. But we, relatively speaking, when it comes to a pandemic, 
we dodged a huge bullet like coronavirus is deadly obvious but it's not like this thing where the moment you get it it's over you understand what i'm saying this ain't the bubonic plague you understand we dodged the bullet and really all you have to do is wear a mask stay away from other people and try to limit your exposure to other people who do not live with you that's what we had to do imagine trying to explain something that simple to someone a reasonable individual and then say that's all we had to do but people then were upset people then thought that it was a political divisive mechanism to get you to wear a mask that people were trying to impede on your freedoms people were getting mad because they couldn't go to red lobster on mother's day people were spitting at other people in walmart people are fighting and screaming and they are demanding that their children go to schools in person despite the fact of these set of dangerous circumstances imagine then explaining that to someone and and then like yo so do you really think like this makes sense does any of that make sense to anyone because explaining the simulation theory to me that makes more sense than trying to explain our current set of circumstances to anyone who is a reasonably intelligent individual so when i then look and do that calculus and do that math and like all right something ain't adding up i don't believe that the simulation theory is true but i can't put it off look at how dumb our world is today at every single season change, there are scientists who are screaming at the top of their lungs, Slim, we have Arctic ice just falling apart, breaking off. The Earth's temperature is hotter than it has ever been recorded before. And the last time it was this at broke a record, it was last year. So like each year, we're breaking all time records. And scientists are just screaming. And then other people are like, uh, well, you know, there's nothing we could really do about that. I know if I had two choices, right, between what is more bizarre, I think that that is actually more bizarre than a simulation theory. Again, our whole lives, we just go, how many times have you seen, hey, what's your birthday month? You know, in your birthday year, and you put those two things together, this is the player who can make your last, something stupid like that, right? Where you're online and they ask a set of questions, which is basically just to get more information from you. And people are just voluntarily like, hey, this is where I was born. This is my birthday, this is my birth year. And I'm just thinking to myself, yo, we just throwing everything out there. Bama's is putting pictures of the kids online. At the same time, we all know, right? How devastating social media is and the internet is in terms of all of these child abductions abductions we're like we know that and then we will still put our child online multiple times we know a foreign government has tried and is actively trying hey to meddle in our political affairs slim 
If you would have told me in the 80s that the Republicans would be cool with Vladimir Putin and Russia meddling in our in any of our affairs for that matter, I would have la again, I would have thought that you were nuts. You can't tell me that our current state of affairs are more bizarre than this theory. I just refuse to believe it. And maybe that's why I'm just like, yo, I'm not saying it's true. It's interesting because we are living in something that makes no sense. <laughs> maybe that's my fault. That's my problem. I keep on trying to find any type of just basic decency, basic common sense in our life at, at any point. And it never makes sense. It just doesn't make sense. So I'm looking around like, yo, son, whomever got the controller right now is high as fuck. Because <laughs> that's the only thing I can understand. You know when you play Madden? When you was younger, I haven't played video games since I was like 20, 21 years old. Unless it's like Mario Kart with my daughter. But I remember playing Madden or Fight Night. Sometimes, man, you may have drank something a little bit too strong. You're playing your homeboy. He may be off or whatever, whatever. And you just playing and you just do something so stupid and you like, why did I do why and somebody asked you, like, why did you do that? Like, stalk, I don't know, it's funny. That's what I feel like what's happening for us. Like we just living our lives, do 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 do. Hey, you know what would be funny? Hey, let that motherfucker Donald Trump be the president. And let's just see what happens. And everybody's like, yo, why would you do that? Shit, I don't know. It'd be funny. Cause and our life is not funny. But like, how else can you explain it? I have seen reasonably intelligent individuals have like heated debates with someone who they were cool with otherwise. I mean, veins popping out their neck and forehead, defending someone who was elected president weeks after being caught saying he routinely sexually assaults women. <laughs> what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? It don't make sense. So whomever, you can laugh you can laugh i promise you i get it my sister makes fun of me all the time because I, I i have been hooked on this idea truly for like the last five years not again i'm not saying i believe it man I'm just saying i'm just saying so you can laugh at me you say i'm crazy you say whatever and all i would do was at will ask you to explain just tuesday explain Wednesdays in our world today just explain it because I promise you nothing that you can say as a as your opinion to trying reason and trying to explain our current current state of affairs nothing that you can offer will make less sense or make more sense excuse me nothing that you can say can make more sense and just saying, you know what? Somebody has the controller right now and they fucking with us. There's nothing you can say that makes more sense than that. And I know that makes no sense. But just observe. Look around and observe. Yeah, man. Maybe I probably should lay off more science fiction movies. But you know what? I need to stay focused and ignoring what's happening today. By the way, you heard the horn. So that means it's uh, halftime this week. Uh, when I finish the second half of this show, I'm going to watch The Matrix again because why not, right? It's not as if I'm going to watch anything sane on any television station today or probably for the next week for that matter. Anyway, hopefully you guys have enjoyed 
this week's show. If you are inebriated at all, I'm sure you enjoyed the second quarter. But you know what? We're going to keep the show moving. In fact, I'm going to stay with the science fiction theme, if you will. Again, in the 90s, I was a huge fan of the Conan O'Brien show. And yes, I know Conan has his own show on like CBS now. I haven't watched it. When I was a kid, I thought the Conan O'Brien show was very, very funny, very, very entertaining. And there was one segment in particular that he had where it was called In the Year 2000. And they would come up with just some absurd and outlandish, um, you know, event or events that would take place in the year 2000. Just kind of like how outlandish the future would be, not knowing that the future well beyond the year 2000 would become, as we just mentioned in the second quarter, completely batshit insane. So I flipped it, right? Whereas Conan O'Brien was trying to warn everybody about the future in the year 2000, I am just going to explain how crazy the year 2020 has been for all of us with only two months left. Take a listen. In the year 2020, in the year 2020. In a last ditch effort to gain the black vote, President Donald Trump, yes, you heard me correct, Donald Trump will be President of the United States. And he will ask and receive the endorsement of none other than Lil Wayne. Yeah. The future sucks. In the year 2020. Former Cheers star Kirstie Alley engages in a war of words with news outlet CNN because the station correctly warns Americans over a global pandemic responsible for killing over 230,000 Americans in only eight months. The actress literally says, quote, fear of dying is their mantra. End quote. Editors note, it is not. In the year 2020. Finally, Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre, who somehow manages to escape harsh criticism for sexually harassing a female employee of one of his former teams by sending a dick pic, makes headlines. Not because of a new ad campaign selling copper-infused athletic gear, but by also throwing his endorsement to Donald Trump. Yes, in 2020, athletes and rappers well past their primes have sought after endorsements by, again, President Donald Trump. Oy. In the year 2020, in the year 2020, I really couldn't believe the, I guess, outrage so many people had at Little Wayne. Like, look, man, I have never really cared much about celebrity. You know, I, I like athletes, you understand? But, and maybe that's kind of the bubble that I exist in, right? Because I love sports so much. Um, I've never really, like, idolized or looked up to musicians you know or uh, movie stars television stars and in athletics the people who i admire the most either a don't say anything for for so long 
right? Athletes never said anything, which is one of the reasons, um, you know, besides the obvious, where people are so upset at, at athletes advocating for um, causes near and dear to their hearts now is because for generations, they didn't say anything. So as a kid growing up, none of my favorite athletes ever said anything. Patrick Ewing never made a stance. Charles Oakley, no one would even ask Oakley about any positions near and dear to his heart. You feel me? So it's only now that there's been a renaissance of the 60s where the best and the top athletes, like the most high-profile athletes all have a platform and they all are voicing it at the same time. And many of them share the same beliefs that, you know what, we should be all, we all should be treated equally. You know, like, again, if you were to have a reasonable conversation with someone who was completely unaware, unaware of what is happening in American politics, and you told someone some of the, the things that LeBron James has done, there isn't outside of outside of the basketball arena. It's hard to find something like the the stances that he's taken that would be offensive. It's literally impossible. So going back to Little Wayne, like I never gave a fuck about what Little Wayne would have to say, even when I was jamming to the first Carter, one of my favorite CDs. I didn't give a fuck about Little Wayne. Like who, little Wheezy, little Tanichi, whatever the fuck you want to call himself. I've never, he never, like, that don't mean nothing to me. So when I saw so many people get so upset and disappointed and heartbroken, that fucking little Wayne, a kid who shot himself when he was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a kid who, if you know his story, he not gangster, he not hood at all. But just, you know, got around in a circle. Like, who cares? You know what I'm saying? If I don't listen to another Little Wayne track, if I don't have to hear that man's name ever again in my life, I will be fine. We got this thing in America where we are just so fixated on celebrity. Hey, this motherfucker was on The Mad Singer. Who the fuck cares about Little Wayne? Who cares about 50 Cent? You understand? And on the flip side, listen to how little they care about us, how little they think about us. Okay? Literally, one of the two major political parties in this country thinks so little about black people that they will go and try to get the vote or the endorsement from a rapper named Little Wayne, who, God bless that man, so he clearly... You know what I'm saying? The 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 haze and the 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 vices have caught them caught up with him. You got the president of the United States taking a picture with a dude with blonde dreads, only four of them left, and he's come on, Joe. Like they think he of all the things of all the people who have significant right and real leadership in the community. If you really wanted to to bridge a gap, you go see a rapper. That's how little they think of us. Imagine this. Forget it was the black 
vote that they were trying to to reach or i don't even know if they were trying to reach it but you know just to quell silence right the the overwhelming numbers of black votes to the democratic party imagine if you honestly were trying to bridge the gap if you will with another type of demographic right let's imagine it was uh the military they're not going to go to see Chris Evans in the Captain America uniform. They're going to actually speak to someone who has legit influence, someone who actually has feet on the ground in that community, someone who has real leadership, knows what they're talking about. Not just some placeholder, some figurehead. If they wanted to build, if anyone wanted to build inroads with the Christian ev ev evangelicals or whatever, the re any religious group for that matter, you're not just going to go to one person and think who who doesn't really speak who doesn't not really doesn't speak for a community at all like what the fuck was that they think so little of us that they just go pick a name out of a hat of a rapper 50 cent and little wayne and ice cube dog they called this shit the platinum <laughs> hey you have to laugh to keep from crying they made up some bullshit that has no details, no specific answers to how they're going to solve any problem facing any community, let alone the African-American community, because I think any reasonable person would understand the issues facing the African-American community are so layered, are so nuanced, are so entrenched into the fiber of this country that you can't just come up with like a five-step plan to fix it. But they call this, they go after rappers, rappers. There, any of us can off the top of our head name at least 10 people in our communities, our communities right now who have put in work in the, in the streets, on the ground, feet on the ground now, who have studied, right? Who have spoke, who have a real plan, who have real ideas, who has seen things, who are, who have not left the people who are hurting, right? We all can think of people, not even national, not on a national scale, but people just within our community who are always out there trying to work hard tirelessly to fix things in our community. These motherfuckers, they do none of the hard work. They just went straight to rappers and called that shit the platinum plan. How little do they think of us? You understand? If that ain't straight out of a Chappelle show skit, I don't know what is. <sighs> I'm going to try to get myself together because in the fourth quarter, I am going to talk a little bit about the political climate, specifically this upcoming election. But before that, again, this is the escape show, at least for three quarters. We're going to head back to the hardwood as a player who... I've been following very closely for his entire career has not so subtly, subtly put the Washington Wizards on the shot clock. It's our third topic this week. Third quarter. Bradley Bill is one of the most sought after players in the NBA. Despite the fact that he hasn't hit free agency in, he, well, to be fair, he's never hit real free agency ever in his career. He was a restricted free agent. The Wizards resigned him after his fourth NBA season. 
and he signed a three-year extension, I want to say, last offseason or in the 2019 summer. The summer of 2019, Bradley Bill signed a three-year contract extension, two extra years plus a player option. So despite the fact that he's never been a free agent, every single team, it seems, or it feels as if, has their eyes on Bradley Bill. Every fan base for sure, but not just the fan bases. You have Lakers, Heat, all types of teams, Boston. Like everyone's, there's so many rumors about Denver, where Bradley Bill will end up playing, despite the fact that there really isn't any indication that Bradley Bill is trying to leave or that the Wizards are looking to move him. You know, we've had these type of discussions many times on this show before. If I were running the Wizards, I would have traded Bradley Bill after the 2019-20 season. That's what I would have done. But the Wizards didn't. And again, there's logic to that. Bradley Bill is one of the better players in this league. You want to hold on to him. He's young. He's getting better. Uh, His second four years is much better than his first four years. And that's all you could ever want. And... He has made it like consistently. He has been vocal about wanting to play, even finishing his career in D.C. Now, you could scoff at that and laugh and dismiss that saying, hey, man, what else is he supposed to say? There are a lot of players who don't say that. There are a lot of players who are really, really good players, right? Uh, Potential all-star players, all-NBA level players who don't ever come out consistently saying, I want to finish my career here. So, yes, does that sound good? True, absolutely. Is there much weight behind it? No. But the fact that he does it, and he does it consistently, he's been very, very involved in the community like throughout his entire tenure here, but specifically these last two years or so. I mean, this election process has seemingly really kind of grabbed him Uh, And maybe it's fatherhood, maybe it's getting older, whatever the case, but he's taken a leadership position in this community, um, which is, which is amazing, which is nothing short than phenomenal. But recently, this past week on JJ Reddick's podcast, Bradley Bill made some comments that were fairly benign, but they were direct and there were something, there were comments that he hasn't made so directly in the past and i'm paraphrasing here i do not have the audio for you all to share but he was saying yes i would like to stay here but when i signed my contract extension i gave myself some flexibility because i want to win so we're going to run it back this year hopefully john is healthy and right and we can get back to competing for a championship get back to the postseason But if we are not going to do that, I have to look elsewhere because I want to win. Paraphrasing there, but that's essentially the essence of what Bradley Bill said. And it's so stark because he's never said that before. He has never said, I will look elsewhere. He has never said, I need a built-in flexibility, right? Of course he wants to win. Any player worth a damn wants to win. So I understand that. And of course, 
I don't need Bradley Bill to get up on a microphone and saying these last few years have been frustrating. I can only imagine how frustrating last season was for him. Actually, no, I can't. No, I don't. Because it was probably as frustrating as the year before. The idea of Bradley Bill and John Wall looks good on paper. And they had a lot of success early on in their partnership. But it feels so many moons ago now, doesn't it? And, you know, I remember that very first playoff run where they beat the Bulls in five games in the first round. And then they gave the Pacers a hell of a series in the second round, going in six, I believe. And in two of those games, the Wizards probably should have won that. And it just felt like, yo, this is this could be the beginning of something special. And then Ego got in the way. They're talking about LeBron James is avoiding them. And they're the best backcourt in the league. And, man, it feels like forever ago. And now here we are. Both he and John financially set for life. The team has given them both huge contracts. Huge. And has given them the keys to the franchise to some extent, right? They're both the face of the franchise, but for different reasons. I believe the heart and soul of the team is John. And as long as John is here, you know, John just kind of occupies a certain position where I feel like the team Maybe even the coaching staff want Brad to be the face. And he is to an extent, but it's a shared occupancy. You know what I mean? And they're tied together. The success of this team will ultimately fall on the shoulders of Brad and John. Whether that's fair or unfair, that's just the reality. And now I think Brad, I don't believe he's starting to see it. I believe he's understood that for some time, but he also starts to understand, hey, I'm a hot commodity right now. I'm the guy who's wanted. And that has to feel good. Because he also mentioned in this podcast how upset he was at the, the, um, the quote, all-star and all-NBA snubs. We've talked about this earlier in the year. I don't necessarily think they were snubs. I think that's just kind of the dynamics of play here. The all-NBA was hard this year, super hard. And the all-star game, the NBA needs to do a better job. Is it for the fans or is it an honor? Because playing both sides of the fence, you get cases like Brad. But I digress. Bradley Bill mentioned, like, man, I was upset. He was pissed off that he didn't make an all-NBA team. And he understands, right? Fair or unfair, when you win 24 games, it's hard to then give you an all-NBA spot when another guy whose numbers mean his whose individual numbers may not be as good as yours, but they do things that consistently, right? They consistent, consistently make winning plays. And I, winning plays is kind of this broad term that oftentimes is used incorrectly. But look, we know what it was with Brad this year. He didn't defend. A lot of that is Isaiah Thomas, but I would say more of that is him. I think he came into this season looking to have an offensive tear and he put up huge counting stats. Because, but the, the thing is, his team offensively wasn't bad. They didn't need him to do 36 and 5 or whatever it was, ended up becoming. They probably needed him a little less points, a little bit more effort on defense consistently. And we can see Brad do that. But this is not a knock on Brad. I want to make sure this is a start of the stopwatch for the Wizards organization because. I do believe the Lakers 
are sniffing around. They want to figure out, and I don't know if they have the pieces. I do believe Denver probably would be interested, whether I agree with that or not. There are teams, the Heat definitely, there are teams who want Bradley Bill, and there are teams who feel that they are championship contenders, teams who consistently make the postseason, who want this 28-year-old, 27, 28-year-old player, right, just entering his prime, sweet, sweet shooting, right responsible like what there there aren't that many things about brad that a team wouldn't want particularly if you get bradley bill you're not getting him to be the best player on your team like all these teams who want brad they have a certain foundation in place they just think that brad would put them over the top whereas in dc brad is the guy He's the only guy you can count on because John has been hurt so much. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Sam um, Sam Hankey and Daryl Morey earlier. You can't make the one-for-one one swaps because there's always going to be a player who's better. So you need the kind of capital, the creativity to come up to orchestrate a package. That's if Washington wants to greenlight it. But, and this is where the crux of this quarter is going to come from, the Wizards need to be careful. They need to be careful. They have kicked the can down the road long enough. And for and luckily for them, nothing catastrophic has happened to Brad, right? Brad's value has only increased over time. You know, there's a lot of things that could have happened that could have been like, damn, missed opportunity. But they've lucked out in that regard. And again, I'm not mad that they didn't trade him. I would have. But I'm not mad that they didn't because, yes, who would want to basically say to their team, to their organization, hey, man, we just let go of a really, really good player because we aren't good enough. That's essentially what trading Bradley Bill would mean. But it's important. It's always important to be honest with yourself. Self-assessment is so valuable. Doesn't mean that you're being down on yourself. It doesn't mean that you're being overly harsh. Doesn't mean that you're being overly critical. It's understanding your position. You go to a mall, went back when malls were open. And if you were looking for a store, you would go to the little mall map. But the first thing you needed to do is find a you are here symbol. Because it doesn't matter where anything is if you can't understand where you are. And this is what the Wizards are eyeing now. Again, they've kicked the can down the road. They need to be honest now. They need to be honest for a second. Where are they? Honestly. What is this team ceiling? What do they think? Best case scenario. Let's just do best case scenario here. John Wall comes back. He's healthy. Bradley Bill and John, they 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 continue. Their chemistry doesn't miss a beat. And Bradley Beal doesn't suffer an injury. John Wall doesn't have a setback. Everything works. Best case scenario, where do you see the Wizards? Because honestly, when you answer that question, if you can answer that question, honestly, the path forward then becomes crystal clear. Do you think Bradley Beal says he wants to compete for a championship? Now, again, if we're going to assume John Wall's health, 
I think it's then fair to assume Kevin Durant. So we don't have to mention Kyrie, but if John, who suffered Achilles, is all the way back, then it's fair to say that we should assume Kevin Durant, who also suffered the same injury, he's fully back. So then just look at the scope of the Eastern Conference right now. Where do you see the Wizards? Again, everything works out well. No setbacks. Perfect case, perfect scenario. Do you see them vying for a championship? I don't think they'll be better than Milwaukee. Miami went to the finals this year. I don't think they'll be better than them. I don't think they'll be better than Boston. Philadelphia is a talented team. I think there's a question mark there. But just from a, if, if, if Philly is the same team, I don't think they're better than Philadelphia. I don't think they're better than Toronto. And I don't think they're better than Brooklyn. So that's six teams right there. Could they get in as a seven seed? For sure. Absolutely. But do I do I think Bradley Bill wants to be a seven seed? Play Milwaukee or Boston or, you know, Toronto in the first round? Do I think that's what he wants? I, I don't think so. I think Bradley Bill at this point, because again, I believe there are people in his ear saying, hey, we want you. We think you can help us win a championship. We know if we have you with him and him, oh man, sky's the limit. I think Bill is hearing that. So telling somebody, hey man, you can get filet mignon, a lobster tail, the works. Or you can come back over here and have the best sloppy joes ever. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's, that's, that's a little too much sauce. My bad. My bad. That's not fair. I'm not going to call the Wizards Sloppy Joes. But you feel what I'm saying. You understand? You feel me. After a while, man, you want to taste the fine life. You want to have some of that caviar. Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill has grown into himself as a star NBA player. And it's been fun to see because I was super critical of him. I would have never, ever, ever believed that Brad would develop into this type of player. Honestly, I'm being dead ass. So seeing him grow into it, but then also understanding, yo, like I can dictate some things here. It's not a bad move for him. He has the leverage. He is the sought after, the highly sought after commodity. Knowing your worth is always a great thing. And that's what Bradley Bill is doing. But he's applying the pressure. Because again, for me, it's been clear. I've felt this way for a long time that Brad was going to make have to have a departure from the Wizards. Because I don't think, even before the injuries, if you are building a team through the backcourt, Unless you have an all-time great player, and I'm talking about all-time, all-time great player, not like an all-star player, not a potential Hall of Famer. I'm talking about an all-time great player. Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Isaiah Thomas. If you are building your team through the backcourt, you better have one of them. Because if not, there is a ceiling. Just think of recent history. The Toronto Raptors before the Kawhi trade, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, they went to one conference championship. 
And you know what we all talked about. Toronto went to a conference championship, went six games against the eventual NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. And we all thought they were a joke. We all got the jokes off, right? Here's another example. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. By hook or by crook, and I'm not taking anything away from them, right? But Denver tried to be cute, try to juxta the, you know, the standings or whatever, the playoff seedings. Portland took advantage. Give them credit. They went to a conference championship, one, two postseason, like not this postseason, not the bubble postseason, but the season before that. And then they were swept by the Warriors. No one thought Portland was a championship level team. And then the following year, they had to fight just for an eight seed. And those are the two teams off the top of my mind outside of, you know, the Golden State Warriors with an all-time great in Steph Curry or the Houston Rockets with an all-time great in Chris Paul. Hell, you could say even James Harden. Who's the other team that have real championship success with their team being built through the backcourt? It doesn't happen. So I've never thought, okay, this is the way they, they can do it. They can do it this way. Nah. I always felt this team had a ceiling. But again, the Wizards kept kicking the, the can down the road. Hey, we'll get them again next year. We'll get them again next year. So those two players didn't become more expensive. They tried to, to build the team around them with veteran presence. So they traded away first round picks. So then you ultimately, right, chickens come home to roost. And that's what this past season was. You didn't have elite level talent because you didn't have all of your picks and you didn't have space under the cap to sign significant impact players. I don't know what the Wizards, I don't know how they feel. And it's a hard pill to swallow to be like, yo, we're going to have to let our best player go because we aren't ready to win. That's hard. It's hard to sell that to the community, the community that loves Bradley Bill, a community that has seen him develop over the years. That's hard. I understand that completely. But they have to be honest. Because Brad has told you. Dog, and, and I'm done here. I'm done losing, I should say. That's what Brad, Brad did not say he's done here. He said he's done losing. And I don't see a way around Washington not ending up losing this year. I'm not saying they can't make the postseason, but that's with everything going right. We just did the math. If, if everything goes right, I can see them as a seven seed, maybe six, depending on if Philly blows it up. That's best case scenario. If that's your best case scenario, ask yourself what's worst case. It's part of the whole thing at play, man. Everyone has championship windows. Well, no, that's not true, actually. You're not promised a championship window. There are a lot of teams who are really, really good, and they don't have a championship window. And then there are teams who fight, scratch, claw, and then they finally get there. And they may have a championship window, but it may not be open very long. The Wizards have had this playoff window. Even when things, even before John's injury, 
They never said that we feel that we can win a championship. They said our goal was just to get to the conference finals. That's where they put their own ceiling. That's with a healthy John and a healthy Brad. Four, three, four years ago. So what could the ceiling be now? They've been lying to themselves. They've been lying. I think, truthfully, even the biggest diehard Wizards fan, you know what it is. And you know how this ends up. Maybe the Wizards go all in this year. You know, we talked about, uh, very briefly, we mentioned how Utah, they have new ownership. Maybe the ownership is like, dog, you know what? Rudy, we don't want to pay you. Donovan, we feel, is the superstar. He may not like you like that. We're going to get you out of here. Is it worth the Wizards to make a play at Rudy? I wouldn't say so. I think Rudy is one of the best players in this league. Like, truly, legit, impact player. Can change your fortunes. But he has a contract coming up after this season. So unless you think your team is a Rudy Gobert away from getting to the finals, or at least a conference championship, and you'd be willing to go that deep into the luxury tax, then yeah, sure, go for it. But I don't think Leontes' money is that long, and I'm not certain Brad and Gobert is enough to get to a conference championship in the East because John's health is still a question mark. And here's the added pressure that's facing Washington. Brad says he wants to go to a winner. He can mess that whole thing up if the only people who are offering you anything real are people who are not necessarily championship contenders, but guys just trying to get to the playoffs. So Bill could do the thing that all the NBA players do, and I don't have a problem with them doing it. They're just being honest. I'm not resigning there. You can trade me here. That's cool, but I'm not going to resign there. So once you have that information, are you going to then give the Wizards your best offer? Like if I know I'm going to get Bradley Bill, but I'm only going to get him for a rental, am I going to give you the King's ransom that Bill is is worth? It becomes a game of musical chairs, y'all. We talked about it again. Assets. The Lakers have traded God knows how many picks to the Pelicans already. So if you, if Brad wants to get to LA and Tommy Shepard wants to do Brad a solid, you're going to take a massive L because the only thing that the Lakers can offer you is Kyle Kuzma, who wants him, right? Maybe Alex Caruso, nothing special, and a bunch of picks that Denver would have first right. So if there's something drastic that happens to the Lakers and they actually end up getting a pick that's not in the 28 to 30 range, well, the Denver Nuggets will have first say because they can't trade the, or not the Denver Nuggets, excuse me, the New Orleans Pelicans will have first say. The Lakers can't trade the picks that have already belonged to New Orleans. They can only trade the picks, right, that have the Pelicans have the right to swap in. So basically, the Wizards would be left with Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, and the Pelicans scraps. Are you going to trade that for Bradley Bill? The Clippers, same thing. Clippers don't really have any picks to give you. They can give you Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. They can get you a bunch of guys. But that's not going to change anything drastically. Montrez Harrell is due for a, a, a new contract. 
believe Beverly has one year left. Like, so what is that going to do? you? Those are two contenders right there. Two teams in L.A. Brad bought a home in L.A., which everybody knows now for some strange reason. It's a game of musical chairs that the Wizards are now facing. How many teams that Brad would want to resign to still have assets that would be worth your while to trade them there? How many contenders, because Brad has mentioned he wants to go to a contender. Well, how many contenders are there that have assets? Miami has told you, we are all in for Giannis. So they're basically in this holding pattern. So you can scratch him off the list for right now, potentially. What? Where are you going? I'm not saying that there isn't a home. I'm not saying that there isn't a potential move to be made for Brad. I'm saying the longer you wait, the harder that decision becomes. Wizards fans, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, man. I know y'all love him, and I understand it. I understand it. He's a phenomenal, he's a very, very good player, man. And he's great in the community. Never heard any negative thing about Bradley Bill or his family at all. This entire tenure in D.C. But what do you think the future of your team what do you think is the best path forward, excuse me, for your future of the Washington Wizards? I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, it's the, the quarter I've been dreading. You know, if you are unlike me and needed and don't need an escape, if you've been consumed with the election and the the vote tallies and the electoral college votes and everything, despite the fact that you know that so many ballots have not been counted. There's a whole bunch of stuff that feels like funny business happening. If you are into that, then I think you're going to be into this last quarter because this will be the last political comment that I make. Actually, I'm not even going to make that because Lord knows what the future holds. But as we sit here, this podcast will be released November the 3rd, election day. There's so many thoughts I have about our democracy at large. And I'm just going to kind of voice my frustrations, my fears, and ultimately where we stand as a voting public um, as we await the future direction of our country. It's our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth quarter. We have heard this routinely over the last year and a half, maybe even more, that the 2020 presidential election is the most important election of a generation, potentially of a lifetime, maybe ever. And anytime I hear that, I, while understanding the point that is trying to be made, I scoff at it because it's clear the most important vote of a generation, potentially of a lifetime, maybe ever, I don't know, (laughs) was the presidential election of 2016. That, That one election has set a course, has set a path that maybe was inevitable, I don't know. But it feels as if it sped up a process of maybe it unexplainable 
it sped up the process of a potential future for the world, but specifically America, that that is far less than how we view ourselves. I mean, when we talk about America, we use these beautiful broad strokes of endless possibilities of melting pods and working together and shared experiences and like the a perfect union to, to steal the term of Barack Obama. Um, and in the past four years, there doesn't seem to be anything perfect about what we've endured. Does it? Um, Hmm. President Donald Trump is, he's a symptom, right? He is a symptom of all that is wrong with this country. You know, I try, for the most part, I think I do a good job of avoiding politics. I crack jokes. It's easy. It's easy to figure out where I am. You don't really need to, to be Sherlock Holmes because I'll tell you, I'm extremely progressive. Like I'm progressive in the majority of my beliefs. And on a personal level, right? You know what I mean? Like fiscal responsibility, cool. I'm with that. But individual liberties, very progressive on that. I'm very, very progressive. And for the majority of my life, first off, before I start getting in too deep, I want to say this. I want to say that I am going to use this platform responsibly and I encourage everyone to vote if you have not voted already, right? I'm not going to say that you have to vote. It's your civic duty. All these other things, things that I grew up saying, things that I have said to friends, family members on many occasions, uh, acquaintances, perfect strangers. Oh man, you have to vote. Your black man, our ancestors fought and died for the, the opportunity to vote. We've all heard these talking points again, time and time again. And I was someone who always, always said those same things, read the script, tried and true. You have to vote. Can't complain if you don't vote. And I have to say, over these last four years, I have been moved off that position. I'm not saying, again, using my platform responsibly. I have voted. You all should vote, or if you feel compelled to. I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or should not do. But I get it. The last four years has, has I don't know, man, awakened, opened something inside of me that it's like, yeah, I get it. I understand why folks don't vote. I get it. Like, I remember just a few weeks ago, people being applauded for waiting in line. You know what I'm saying? For hours to vote. In the primary in Kentucky, Amy McGrath, I believe she won. It was a brother or opponent. And like, they were trying to stop counting votes. Like, 
And they were like, no, if you're in line now, you can stay. Like, it should not be hard to vote in any time. In a global pandemic, people should not be waiting in lines for hours to vote, to vote early. I'm not applauding that. I'm, I make that disgusts me. And we aren't, like, we're not fooled by this. This is a, again, we want to talk about this perfect union. Take a wild guess who these long lines affect more than anyone else. Take a wild hunch. What's perfect about that union? But no one who, I guess, speaks for me, my vote, who, who speaks to my sensibilities, I shouldn't say no one. There are a few. God bless Ilhan Omar, AOC, the squad. God bless them. Because it seems as if they're like the only, and, and I shouldn't say that. There are some other candidates, um, maybe not larger nationally known, but there are candidates who, who do feel to fight for the progressives, to fight for equality, right? Things that we should have already. I'm going to be all over the place here, man, because, you know, this has been festering inside of me for quite some time. So I hope, I hope I don't ramble. I hope it makes sense. I really do. I appreciate you all for indulging with indulging me. Um, but, you know, like if I can't talk about this on my own podcast, where the fuck can I talk about it? You know what I'm saying? <sighs> this entire process has been so frustrating. These last four years have been so frustrating. And again, I understand the folks who are so disgusted, who are so exhausted, who feel so hopeless that they're just like, dog, it really don't matter. It just really don't. And while I've always, for the majority of my life, always disagreed with that, it's hard to still feel that way, at least for me. When Donald Trump, who is not... I don't care if he's the president. He's just not a valid option. He's going to get millions upon millions upon millions of votes tomorrow or Tuesday, wherever you're listening to this. I'm recording this Monday night. He's going to get millions of votes. I don't believe that this outcome is going to be Clinton Dole, where it's just a wash, easy, right, slam dunk. I don't feel it's going to be that. In fact, if it was, if the voice of the people were to have it be some type of lopsided outcome, I do think that there are going to be tens of millions of votes that will be discarded. We have seen over the past, the president has stripped, right, finances for the post office. For this one very reason. <laughs> Think, forget, like, I don't want to say forget. Put aside that. Think of all of the things that have happened under this presidency or right before this presidency that has happened by the hands, directly or indirectly, of President Donald Trump. Let's put to the side, right, the 
the there were good folks on both sides when talking about white supremacists. Let's put to the side, stand by, stand down when it comes to the Proud Boys. Let's put to the side having a secret bank account in China that he had failed to disclose for years. <laughs> Let's put to the side that he is massively in debt and has not paid taxes for God knows how many years. Let's put to the side, grab them by the vagina. Let's put to the side him throwing, tossing paper towels. Right? To our, to our, our, our brothers and sisters. After a devastating hurricane. Let's put to the side. We, I, let's, let's nuke this hurricane. Let's put to the side, grab them by the vagina. Let's put to the side. Let's put to the side the bounty on American troops. All of the people who will swear to you they love this country and protect our troops and all of this stuff, respect our flag, respect our troops. They don't have anything to say about the Russian bounty. Nothing. Put all of those things and God knows how many more examples that should disqualify this individual, that should disqualify this entire party. Put all of that to the side and just look at our response to COVID. Just focus on that one thing and that one thing alone. And then come to the realization that the same man that we are speaking about, the same man who holds the highest office in the world is going to get a significant amount of votes to be reelected. All of these things that should have disqualified him time and time again, forget the fact that there is credible evidence that he has been compromised by a foreign hostile country a same hostile country that has meddled and tried to destroy our democracy time and time again how how can anyone look that at that at a significant percentage of our country once that these bombers have threatened to kidnap governors. Multiple. Michigan, Ralph Northam, they're multiple. And that the fact that it's going to be quote, like this shouldn't be a thing. It should not be a thing. I live in Maryland. So, yeah, my vote, my vote doesn't matter. I'm from Virginia. If I was living in Virginia, obviously it's a different set of circumstances. Virginians, if y'all listen to me, God bless y'all, man. Get out there. Do the right thing. But this, it shouldn't be this, this, it should not be this bad, man. Like I fear, I don't know. I don't, what happens on the third is one thing. I'm scared of what happens on the fourth and beyond until inauguration. I have no clue. I don't think that this is going to be just some easy kind of transfer of power. 
You'd be stupid to think that. Like, what have you been watching the last four years? So when I, I when I wrap my mind around what has been happening by one party, like the Republican Party has embraced all of this. Not every single person who is a Republican, some of you all, many of you all have tried to fight this to save your party, but it cannot be denied. The party at large has embraced Donald Trump. They have wrapped themselves around it. And we should not allow them to, if he is, you know, defeated on the third, we should not then allow the party to be like, okay, well, we off that now. No, we should not allow any of it. And of course we are going to, because no matter what, no matter what, the Republicans have made themselves quite clear. I mean, they're at the point now where they're saying the quiet part out loud. They've made their bed and they are comfortable lying in it. The problem is the Democrats, right? The party who likes to act as if they're different, who likes to act as if they're above this. They don't ever put any action behind it. I don't want to hear Democrats complain over four years about how President Trump packed the courts, which he did, breaking all types of rules and regulations along the way. No one cares. And then get power if they are to get the power, not just at the White House, but also flip the Senate. If they do get power, man, these motherfuckers better not play. I'm dead ass serious. I'm sick of this. You can't beat someone, right? You cannot defeat anyone just by telling someone, hey, you're breaking the rules. Start playing fair. If they are going to cheat, guess what? Sometimes you're going to have to get down dirty too. I'm sick of this. Like It's so stupid to me that we could... In 2008, I've told this story several times, man. I was... I... I believed, you feel me? I got caught up in the propaganda, man. I canvassed, man. I did so much to get Barack Obama in office, man. Y'all wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. I was there. I was out there, baby. You understand, man? I'm slim, feet on the ground for real. And I remember. When he won, I remember that election night like it was yesterday, man. I partied that night. I'm hugging strangers. We out on the streets on U Street just dancing, laughing, having such a... It was so fun. And then for the next eight years, I proceeded to, to become jaded. You know, I was so disappointed with Obama's presidency. And, you know, I'm probably speaking to a lot of y'all, man. Y'all probably like, man, you tripping right now. Because I know y'all y'all motherfuckers love Barry. And that's cool, man. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. But I was so disappointed for a lot of reasons. Rahm Emanuel being chief of staff. <laughs> like, just right off the top. Every single time a young black child was murdered. What did Barack Obama say? Man, we have to do better. We got to do better. But you know what? We also need to make sure our fathers stay at home. 
as if that had anything to do. Trayvon Martin was going to his father's home. It wasn't like his dad wasn't involved, right? Tamir Rice, tell me what a father could have done to prevent that. That shit pissed me off so much to my core, bro. You feel me? Like that joint blew me so much time and time again. He kept on trying to both sides an argument where there was clearly one side that was wrong. That man is an intelligent man. He's smart. He's brilliant even. So why, why do you think that he kept on trying to do that? That's the question. The, the great unifier in chief. Why you can't unify, you can't bridge a gap with somebody who only wants to see you fail. Whether it was Speaker Ryan, Mitch McConnell, it did not matter. They made it perfectly clear. They were running just to object, right? They were just making sure nothing that he proposed got through. And they were quite successful. And even after he was reelected, he kept on trying to like to bring the country to, to, to work with people who have already called their shot. I'm sick of the weakness. You can't ever win. You keep on trying to extend yourself with a group of people who keep on moving further and further away from you. So at some point, you abandon the people at your base. You abandon your core. Say whatever you want about President Trump. And Lord knows I've said my fair share. This motherfucker has tried to do everything that he ran on. He tried, he is, he may not have succeeded, but he, he, he has done a lot. The promises that he made, that motherfucker by hook or by crook, and oftentimes it was by crook. He went up, and if, even if he went down swinging, he went down swinging. The only thing that he promised that he really didn't even really try the, the TSA shit. Barack Obama, I will never forget. Besides the the trying to, you know, play both sides of the fence when it comes to race. I'll never forget. I'm reading an article. I was, I think it was in time. It was years ago. So, you know, forgive me for not remembering. But he was talking about, you know, despite all of the racial um, inequalities, despite the economic, the economy, which to his credit, he turned that thing around like, I, I criticize Barack Obama for a lot of things, but the motherfucker, you know, he had success. I'm not going to act like he didn't. I'm not doing that. But he was, I, rem I will never forget, man. He was talking about, man, you know, despite all of these things that are happening in our day to day, there's one thing that is paramount for me, and that's the environment. Right? He was like, yo, this is the biggest issue facing all of us. This thing is a real problem, right? And it impacts every last one of us. It doesn't matter. And he was talking and I'm listening to him and I'm seeing kind of the things that he's putting in place. And he did put in certain safeguards in place, but it wasn't like when you look at his successor, right? And you see all of the executive orders that has been used by Trump. 
to get his shit done. Doesn't matter. Fuck it. I'm going for it. Hell, look at Obama's predecessor. W was on some fuck shit too. And that's, I'm getting back to this. Put a pin there. George W. Bush has now somehow been elevated as a quote, good Republican. Oh man, don't we wish for the days of W. This motherfucker's a war criminal. Like, this is the problem. And I and I made this analogy over the summer, man. Donald Trump is Randy Moss. He just breaks your defense. Goes long. You got to try to keep up. These motherfuckers are going to send Wells Welker right underneath. And watch how they punish us. We going to be like, man, Donald, if we are able to get past this motherfucker on the third. Watch how quick they try to move and pivot. And they're going to... Whether it's Hogan, Rubio, one of these dumb, weak motherfuckers, man. They're going to try to position themselves, pivot ass. I'm not Donald Trump. I stood tall to Donald Trump when in reality they didn't. And watch how quick the Democrats allow that shit to get off. Like, we are now ro like romanticizing the George W. Bush years. What the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. This is my point, man. Donald Trump is not valid. This shit should be a disqualifier for generations. What we have endured in four years has set us back something that is hard to even put into perspective. And watch in two years. All of these motherfuckers who swear they can't stand Donald Trump, watch how tight, watch how tight these midterms are going to be in two years. Something is wrong. Something is broken. So I get the frustration. I get why people are just sitting at home and like, man, fuck it. This they, it doesn't mean any, I can't change this because no matter what, it's either you get shot in the head or you starve to death. But either way, the outcome is the same. One just happens faster, bro. Going back to Obama in the environment. It's almost as if he was looking just to get on base. Like he was the leadoff hitter. And he was thinking, yo, whomever's back batting behind me, they're going to bring me home. Nah, motherfucker, you can't take those type of chances. Like, it's almost as if, despite how brilliant Obama was, he was incredibly naive. He kept on trying to unite everybody. Man, these motherfuckers don't like you. And guess why they don't like you? Donald Trump built his entire political career by trying to invalidate your presidency by saying that you're not from the country. You think that it's, it's just because? Happenstance? Nah, they don't like you because you black. Stop trying to unite people who don't like you because you black. That shit pisses me off, man. Still to this day, obviously, you can tell in my voice. But just the fear of acknowledging basic things that everybody who looked like me have to deal with on a regular basis. He kept on trying to ignore it. Explain it away. We're better than this. We are America. Nah, Slim. This is part of the foundation of our country. And not talking about things does not make it better. Look at where we are today. 
You think ignoring this shit has made it better? No, it's empowered people. But back to the environment, because again, this is super important. Barack Obama was smart enough to be like, yo, this is a huge deal. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to flex like he needed to flex, like his successor flex on any and every topic. He was going to try to do the right thing. And I'm just going to get on base. Now let Hillary, Hillary Clinton bring me home and let's move the let's move this issue forward. Oh, that was a bad miscalculation. But his VP, Joe Biden, presidential nominee in 2020. I have to believe that he also was informed with how critical the environment issue is. This motherfucker is a believer in fracking. The fuck? Hello? <laughs> like, if you are a progressive, if you believe in the environment like I do, how, like this, again, I get why motherfuckers don't want to vote because it feels so helpless. No one listens to me. No one listens to us. We talking about the earth, Slim. We talking about the earth. <laughs> There's nothing else. If we don't have our planet, game over. Simulation or not, it's over. <laughs> it's just amazing, right? To see how our election process has evolved. And though the characters change, right? The game stays the same. I remember the 2000 election. I'll never forget. I mean, you know, it was, I was 17 at the time, so I could not vote. Right. Um, but I remember like, say whatever you want about vice president Gore, but that was kind of, at least for me, it felt like it was the, the, the beginning of, I don't know, the dumbing down of our country. People were saying, you know, I'd rather have a drink with George. Like that was a, a real thing. You'd rather have a drink with somebody. So he, that makes him president, that makes him presidential material. Like Al Gore was so much smart. Like, you know, like there, look, just look at some of these election results, just presidential. You know, I mean, you want to look at some of these, you know, Senate races that have happened. I mean, it tells you a, a real dark truth of our country, but let's just focus for a moment on presidential elections. Like Al Gore, George Bush should not have been that close. And you can say whatever you want about Ralph Nader, but people voted for Nader because Al Gore was similar, right? Smart, brilliant, smart. But for whatever reason, he never, like someone who is looked upon and, and worshiped now by the progressive movement. He wasn't a pro progressive candidate. Go look at some of Al Gore's positions when it comes to racial relations. This motherfucker had Joe Lieber. <laughs> this is another thing. Why is it that every single Democrat who ever sniffs the White House is then compelled or asked, hey, are you going to have any Republicans in your cabinet? Joe Lieberman, I know at the time he was a Democrat, but I mean, my God. Joe Lieberman is a fucking Republican, essentially, man. And that was his VP choice. 
Really? Who asked Donald Trump if he was going to have a liberal in his cabinet? They've already asked Joe Biden that. Why is it that that's the only time it ever happens? Why is it that it's only the Democrats' responsibility to try to bridge the gap? These motherfuckers don't want to work with you. So you got to force Bama's to get in line like we all had to these past four years. 2000 elections should have let everybody know, okay, this is ridiculous, right? Bush inherited a bad hand. 9-11 is not his fault. That's not on him. Katrina, though, Katrina, absolutely. So then what happens? 04 happens. We made a huge mistake in 2000. 04 happens, Howard Dean. Somebody actually, for the time, speaking the progressive movement, right? Oh, my goodness. It was like, yo, what is happening here? This dude's different. He's talking that talk. He's talking to young people. And then, ah, happened. And we got that motherfucker out because he was screaming with excitement. We go from, I'd rather have a drink with this guy, so we're going to elect him, to we're going to get this guy, even though he has all of this momentum, get him out of here because he screamed. <laughs> and then you want to talk about awful VP candidates. You thought Joe Lieberman was bad. Look at Edwards. <laughs> right? Look at our political system. This shit did not just happen with Donald Trump. It didn't just happen overnight, man. And after years and years of seeing this, after years and years of consistently waiting for hours to vote, hoping upon hope, then we get then we get Barry. And he hot and he the first thing he does, oh Rahm Emanuel's my chief of staff. Okay. Go look at Chicago. Go look at Chicago under his watch as a mayor and tell me. <laughs> you know, he's, I mean, like, what, what else can you say? Obama ran. He ran on the position of universal health care. And 08 was a resounding success for the Democrats, man. Resounding. And he spent all of that, all of that capital on a popular right position universal health care had the majority of americans approval and this motherfucker bartered and negotiated against himself and settled for obamacare you know whatever and while it's better than what we had it's not what anybody wanted so the people who opposed it will scream to the high heavens about it and the people who wanted universal health care were like dog this isn't what you told us we were going to get and not understand the idea, hey, man, we have to take small steps. But I'm tired of hearing, let's take one step at a time, right? When the opposition, it's like, fuck taking a step. We just going to bulldoze our way into this motherfucker. It always happens. I'm sick and tired of rooting for the weak Bama. Take some protein shakes, do some push-ups, and get at it. And here we are now. After all of that, after all of that, 20 years, just recently, I'm not even going into the night, just 20 years of our election process, right? And liberals and Democrats waiting in line for hours, right? Not having our votes casted, right? People 
going out of their way to keep us from voting. And then when we finally do vote, the people who we want to win, the people who we rally behind, the people who we embrace, don't go hard. Don't go at a 10. They go at a 6. And they keep on trying almost as if they value the people who hate them more than they value the people who put them in the office. We've had to eat that shit for 20 years. I get why people are tired. I get why people are frustrated. And again, let me make this perfectly clear. I'm going to use this platform responsibly. I voted. Voting is important. You understand? And if you are moved or compelled to vote, I I, I wish you, you know, I, I wish you nothing but luck and blessings. And I hope you go out there and vote and, you know, engage in the political process, man. But I'm done, you know, talking down on folks who don't vote. I'm done. They, they say the definition of insanity is, man. You know, we keep on doing the same thing. And it doesn't matter who to play in the game. It doesn't matter who the characters are. The story remains the same. Dems get in office. The majority of the country aligns to the left, but we don't ever get a full-fledged left candidate. So whomever gets in as a Democratic nominee, they take three, four, maybe five steps to the left. And then after, after one, maybe two terms, right, what happens? Okay, these motherfuckers go 30 steps to the right. In in the in a blink of an eye. Like we we are worrying about issues. Roe v. Wade. We are worrying about issues that has that the overwhelming number of Americans have voted for and approved for generations. Like abortion, women's rights. They keep on trying to make this a thing. It's not going away, despite the fact that Americans for generations now have said, yes, we all believe, the the vast majority of us believe that a woman should choose. Bung. We still keep on trying to fight this. There was a a, a police shooting in in Philadelphia. They asked Joe Biden about it, and and what he says is, man, we should never protest, We, we, we shouldn't riot in the streets. Come on, bro. People aren't rioting just to riot. They they rioting because they fed up. Joe Biden's only running for office. He's only in this position because of the black vote. The black vote fucking carried his ass to this point right now. And that's the shit he gonna get off. And the only reason he does it, right, is because he's scared that he's going to scare off white votes. And that's, we keep on going right back to the ugly, sad, but honest truth. And until someone just calls a fucking thing a thing, we never gonna get past this. You can't be a, a candidate talking about bridging the gap and leading the new America and, and quieting, you know, our our divide. Like dog, the racial issues in this country, we've we've dropped the ball, man. I don't know if we'll ever square things up in my lifetime and my daughter's lifetime, bro. Because we've it, it's taken us generations just to get to this point. Centuries just to get to this point. To the point where we have candidates who are only in the position because of the black vote scared to speak up for black issues. 
You're scared. Do you get why people are frustrated? Do you get why people are exhausted? Do you get why people feel helpless? Because I do. These four years have been illuminating for me. I feel bad for the dismissive nature I used to have when it came to talking to people who were just like, bro, I'm not, that shit, I, I can't do nothing. It's disheartening. It's sad, right? It's disgusting. It's irritating. It makes you want to scream, fight. And maybe I'm just jaded. Maybe I've been beat down, man. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But it felt like at this time, for this election, I had to say something, bro. In a race that should not be close. With a president who should not even be in a position to run for re-election. He sh- <sighs> like how many things can one man fuck up? And yet this thing is going to be close. And you know some shady business is around the corner. I get why people just want to be disconnected from this. I get why people want to keep their head in the sand. Because this shit is stressful. And no matter how long you wait in line, no matter how much you scream and beg and plead for a candidate to hear your voices, when you have been used and manipulated and ignored at some time, at some point you become numb. And if we don't have the, the ability, the empathy, right. To understand that, then fuck it, man. We get what we deserve. All right. 40 minutes on one topic. I'm not slim. I'm watching The Matrix. I'm watching Mr. Robot. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to watch besides those two things on Tuesday and Wednesday. But I am unplugging, dog. I'm done. I don't want to. I don't want to hear Trump by nothing. Nothing like that. Anything that starts off with like Trump or Biden. I don't want to hear it. But we'll see where our country lies next week. I'll be back here. Same bat time. Same bat channel. I want to thank each and every one of you all for rocking with me, man. I appreciate you guys. This was another long episode. We've had a lot of really long episodes recently, man. I'm going to try to, you know, go back to uh, basics moving forward. But just a lot of things going on in the world right now. But I want to thank each and every one of you all, man. I really do for rocking with me for, you know, these two plus hours. Again, make sure you guys are safe. If you are going to vote on Tuesday, man, make sure you wear your masks practice uh social distancing but even if you're not man whatever it is that you do be safe out there man wash your face wear a mask man take care of yourself and your loved ones and i will see you guys back here next tuesday for another episode of the quarterly report podcast